the last of our three series and uh, three sermons in this series, Why I Don't Pray. We've actually been talking about drawing near to God and prayer and so on for the last two months or so, and I hope it's been a time of encouragement to you, but also a time of being curious, as we talked last week, to, uh, as to how to grow in this area of our life together, especially as we seek to put our roots down more firmly in Christ to weather the uncertainties of the time in which we currently live. Two weeks ago, we started this series by looking at the, re- the, the main reason of distraction, one of the large reasons why we sometimes don't pray, which is that we're distracted or we're just too busy. We get caught up with our lives or we're interrupted. Last week, we talked about a second reason, which is that we sometimes find prayer boring or we find it flat or repetitive. And so we looked at different ways to pray that maybe you hadn't thought of. In our small group last week, someone said, I was encouraged by that sermon to realize that some of the things I'm already doing Um, sort of count as prayer, and I wasn't thinking of them as prayer in my life. And so they were encouraged to say, I'm praying more than I realized that I've been praying. And today I want to add a third reason. I want to look at a third reason with you, which is probably the main reason that I don't pray, or when I don't pray, or when I feel like I'm drifting into prayerlessness, this is the main reason why I find that I don't pray, or I'm, I'm drawn away from prayer. And I'm guessing that you share this reason with me this is also something that you know, understand, if, you're, if you live a relatively comfortable life, if you haven't faced any huge disasters in your life or in the lives of your children, if you haven't really ever had to worry about where your rent or mortgage payment is coming from or how you're going to pay for groceries next week, if you've never been mistreated because of the color of your skin or your nationality, if you're in relatively good health or you have good, at least health, good health insurance, I'm guessing you may share this reason for me. And that is that the main reason that I tend to drift away from prayer in my life is that I, f- I realize that I'm not always deeply convinced that prayer matters. I'm not always deeply convinced that prayer makes a difference and I, and I kind of lose track of how profoundly I need God in my life. I mean, I know how to get things done I'm a resourceful person, I'm a a good problem solver, and I know how to, generally, I know how to move toward the things that I want or the things that I want to see happen. And sometimes I realize that I'm, I'm just not praying as much as I want to because I wonder if my prayers really matter. And some of you are thinking, wow, is it okay for our pastor to say that in a sermon, that prayer may not matter? Realize that I didn't say it was true, right? I didn't say it's true that prayer doesn't matter. I just said that sometimes there's a gap between what I know is true and what I think is true or what my experience is. And I think that's probably the case in some of your lives as well. When, that, when I realize that's happening for me, I'm deeply comforted by two things. One is I'm deeply comforted to know that God understands my humanness. Psalm 103 says, God knows our frame. He knows how we are made, and he has sympathy for our humanness. And secondly, I know that I'm I'm grateful for a loving and gracious God who brings me back on track whenever I feel like I'm drifting away from him in some way. There are actually two men in the Bible who I think struggled with the same challenge that you and I do. I think they were not deeply convinced that prayer matters, that prayer makes a difference. And I want to just mention the both of them to you this morning for your consideration. The first one is kind of an extreme case, kind of an extreme example, somebody who just simply ignored God as best we can tell. He trusted in his own abilities. And this man shows up in a parable that Jesus told about a rich fool in Luke 12, the parable of the rich fool. 
It doesn't sound like this was a real person, but it is a a true picture of real people. Um, Jesus told this parable to, to remind, he said, to remind his listeners and to warn them that life is about more than your stuff. It's about more than the money that you have. And that having more and more things, having more and more money is not really what life is about. You probably remember this parable if you know Jesus' parables. It's about a rich man who one year had an abundant harvest, a super abundant harvest. So much came in that he didn't have room for all of it in the barns that he, that he currently had. And so he said, well, I'm going to tear those down. I'm going to build bigger barns. And this is great. I have so much extra. My surplus is so huge that I'll be able to live off of this for years and years and years to come. This is great. I can retire and live out my days in comfort. I never have to worry again. And sort of implicitly, I think what he's saying is I never have to pray again. I'm not going to have to ask God for anything because I already have all of what I could possibly want or need. And Jesus says, this man is a fool because he's not rich toward God. There's nothing in this story about gratitude toward God. There's no acknowledgement in this story on this man's part that all of what he has has been given to him by God or at least entrusted to him by God. There's no sense here of any responsibility toward God or toward other people. And Jesus says he's a fool. He's a fool to think that it's a good thing to never have to pray again, to have everything that that he needs. And you and I might not say exactly those words, but I think we understand his mindset. We kind of aspire to that, don't we? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you love to have enough money, enough stuff to retire and live out your days in comfort? And aren't many of us, I mean, we're told that it's wise to save for retirement. And I'm grateful that the congregation as part of our staff package pr- makes a monthly contribution to our retirement accounts. But Jesus says this man was a fool to ignore God. That was the key, the, the problem. He was a fool to ignore God and to live only for his comfort. But I think it's this parable is also a reminder for us to be careful about how attached we get to our stuff or how we think about our stuff or our money. And remember, as we've said many times, that it's not really yours, that your money is not really yours. It's entrusted to you by God. So that's the first example, somebody who really, really didn't think he had any need to pray, didn't think prayer would matter at all in his life. The second one is a milder case, and this is the man that we heard about in the story from Mark 9 that Jason read for us just a moment ago. This is a man whose son was tormented by an evil spirit, and he knew, this man knew that both he and his son needed help. They needed God's help, and they came to Jesus for help. It seems like his, his disciples intercepted the man on, on his way to Jesus, that they tried to help him. But my sense is that this man, if you read the story, this man it, it probably had tried everything he knew to try. That his son, it says from birth, his son was like this, and I think this man had exhausted all his options. Even Jesus' disciples couldn't cast out this evil spirit, couldn't help this boy. And I think this man knew from years of experience that you don't always get what you hope for. You don't always get in your life all the things that you ask for. And we also don't always get the things that we pray for. But I think we know that too, don't we? You, we understand this father's mindset as well. So when, the, when Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? The man said, uh, he's been like this from childhood. We've had to pull him out of fire. We've had to pull him out of water so he wouldn't kill himself. But if you can do anything... If you can do anything about that, please take pity on us, help us. 
I think essentially what he's saying is we need help, but I'm not sure that more prayer is going to make a difference. I've tried everything I know how to do. I'm not sure that prayer makes a difference. And Jesus says to him, in paraphrase, Jesus says, of course it does. Of course it does. All things are possible for those who believe. And then the man replies with a phrase that maybe you have said, Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. In other words, I, I do believe. I want to believe. I know things are, these things are true about you. I know who you are. But I struggle to, to hold on to that. The circumstances of my life don't always work out the way I think they should, and I wonder why, and I wonder if you couldn't fix those things. So I believe, but help, help my unbelief. I think we know what that man was feeling, don't we? I mean, we know what that's like to want things that we ask, or to ask for things that don't work out the way we have in mind, and we, we wonder why. Some of us have started to wonder if something's wrong with God, and people have written whole books about this problem that... Maybe saying that maybe the answer is that God isn't as powerful as we thought, or that maybe God isn't able in the same way that we thought he was, or maybe God just doesn't care. Other people have written books to say, well, God is powerful, but he just doesn't care. That's why things work out differently than we expect. Or maybe God wants me to suffer. Maybe you've wondered that. Is something wrong with God that God wants me to suffer? Or we may think, well, is something wrong with my, my prayer? Is something wrong with my technique? Should I be praying longer? Maybe I should be praying louder, or maybe I'm not using the right words. Maybe I haven't gotten through because my technique is suffering, or maybe there's something wrong with me. Is there something wrong with me? Am I unworthy? Am I, I mean, maybe you carry around a sort of a general sense of guilt, and you just kind of always think, well, I'm not worthy anyway, so why would God listen to my prayer? The Bible does say that sin in our lives can interfere with our prayers, so that's worth examination, but I don't think it's meant to be something that we carry around with us as a burden in, in our, in our day-to-day lives and wondering about something's wrong with us. But I think it does lead us to this question, does prayer matter? I struggled with that question several years ago as I was finishing seminary. I left uh, my, business, my work in the business world when I was 40 years old uh, and went to se- did two years of seminary study. And as I was finishing that up, um, I needed work. I needed a job. I was in the process of changing careers, and I was hoping that there would be ministry work available at the other end of that training. Um, but at that point, we were, Nita and I were praying for guidance about w- which way to go. Um, we were considering, I was considering two possibilities. By God's grace, I had two opportunities to consider at that moment, um, and they both kind of developed fairly uh, easily. They came to me fairly quickly. One was to stay at the congregation that we were part of at that point. We were attending a Christian and Missionary Alliance church in North Carolina, and they had invited, they invited me to stay on as associate pastor there. Uh, that was a congregation that we attended for five years. When we, as we, the, the whole time that we lived in North Carolina, we attended that church. And so we had invested in relationships. Our, our children who were uh, 10, 13, and 15 at the end of those two years had spent f- the last five years of their lives in that congregation, so had friends there. Um, Nita was involved with the worship team, and I was uh, helped to teach adult Sunday school. I was chairing the board of elders, and we had an opportunity to stay there. Uh, the catch there was that, that r- the role that I had been talking with them over a period of time, and the role that they ended up offering me was not quite the one that I'd asked for. I'd asked to, to be able to work in, in certain areas, and they came back and asked me to work in other areas that I didn't feel were uh, my strengths or quite as interesting to me. 
So that was the one opportunity. The second was the opportunity to move here to Lancaster to, for me to become director of leadership development for Lancaster Conference, LMC, uh, to help, and in that role to help provide training to pastors who don't have seminary training or don't have college degrees. Um, it w- I would have done, been doing staff work for the conference and, and been working across a network of congregations. Um, also a chance to connect with the Mennonite, reconnect with the Mennonite world and to live closer to our families. But the problem with that option was that it would mean uprooting our family and Anita from uh, all of us from close relationships and friendships that we had invested. We loved the congregation we were part of. And so Anita and I both together prayed earnestly for direction, wondering, asking God to tell us what to do. Because these both seemed like, both seemed like good options, but both had their drawbacks. And so we thought, well, please God, just tell us what to do. Surely, you know, one of these is what you want me to do uh, for my work. We wanted our prayer to matter. We wanted to pray and to submit that decision to God. But we didn't receive any clear word or sense of direction from our prayers. We conferred with our friends. We talked to our families. Anybody hearing anything? Has God told you what we should do? Maybe maybe you've done that too to friends or family saying, I need to make a decision. Maybe God told you what I should do. And hopefully they're reluctant to tell you that. But um, in any case, in this case, we were frustrated and disappointed because our prayers weren't yielding the answer, the, the clarity that we uh, uh, were hoping for. And finally, my dad said to me one time, I think it was in a telephone call as I was talking with him about this, he said, Carl, what if God is inviting you to choose? What if God is giving you space to, to make a decision to choose what you want to do? Clearly, either of them would be something you could do well from who you are, your training, your experience and maybe God is going to build his kingdom in both places and is just saying, which one would you like to be a part of? And that was very freeing. It wasn't really the, the answer to prayer that I had expected. But as, as you think about that, I, the question that we're asking this morning is, did that prayer matter? Did our prayer make a difference? Well, it didn't really produce the kind of answer that we were asking for. But it did connect us to our friends, to our families, in Nor- our friends in, in North Carolina and our families and friends in Pennsylvania. It connected them to us as we were wrestling together. They joined us in wrestling with discernment, the question of what we should do. Our prayers did align our hearts and our wills with God. We did truly want us to, to follow God's leading and God's direction. And it did give God the opportunity to give us a clear direction if that's what he wanted to do. And so, yeah, I would say our prayer did matter in those ways. But as I thought about this question of why I don't pray, about um, whether, wondering about whether prayer matters, I realized that over, over the course of my life, I've learned several things about prayer that I want to pass on to you this morning. I've come to understand several things from my own experience, from my study of Scripture, and from listening to the stories and journeys of other Christians. I want to pass them on to you for your consideration this morning as you think about why you don't pray or why you don't pray as, as often or as much as, you, as you'd like to. The first thing I want to say clearly to you is that some, sometimes God does exactly what I've asked him to do. Sometimes God has done exactly what I've asked him to do in prayer. When I was a child, when I was 10 or 11 years old, I think it was, I was playing in the woods with some of my friends, some of my buddies. We were far away from any adults who could help us, and it was one of the things we loved the most was to be out in the woods, and I don't even remember what all we were doing, but it was fun, let me tell you, whatever it was. <laughs> I just remember that one time, 
uh, we each had uh, uh, knives as well that we had learned to sharpen and we would take them with us and carve things and cut things up, which was very cool. And one time, my friend Joe cut his finger. He cut his finger so badly that his finger was just gushing with blood, bleeding profusely. And we're 10, 11 years old. We're too far away to get help. But we immediately started back to where we could get help from adults. Uh, and we started praying. We said, God, please save Joe's life. Please let this work out okay. We were scared that Joe was going to die because we had never seen that much blood in one, come out of one person at one time. And God answered that prayer. Joe's life was spared. He, he, uh, he was okay. And I tell you that story partly to illustrate. I mean, you may look at that now if you're older than 10 and think, well, that was a child's understanding. He probably really wasn't. It probably wasn't life-threatening, but to us it was. And in my 10-year-old experience, God answered that prayer, and it was a great confidence builder for me. But another time something like that happened, I was older, and you may find this a little more persuasive. Two years ago, October 2018, um, I was driving over here to my office one morning, and I was, I was feeling discouraged. I don't even remember anymore what the, pro, what the issue was, but I was just feeling kind of worn down. And as I was driving over to the office, I was just praying, and I said, Lord, could you just give me some specific encouragement today or this week. I would, re- I would really find that helpful to me. To just, just something, it, has, it can be small, but just something that I, when, I, when it happens, I'll realize that this was you sending me an encouragement, some kind of blessing. When I got to the office that morning, there were two things waiting for me that answered that prayer very specifically. They were waiting for me when I got here. The first one was a voicemail from a pastor in Ohio that I know, but I don't know well, he had um, discovered that we were looking for a staff hire. Uh, this was at the time where we were, we were looking for, um, uh, to hire someone and ended up hiring Jeremy uh, about a year later, not quite a year later. But uh, anyway, this person had found out about that, had done some checking on our website to find out who we are as a congregation, had listened to some of my sermons, and had been reading about our congregation. And I had this wonderful 30 or 40-minute conversation with this man on the telephone. He was just so effusive about the things that he'd learned and read, and I think it's responded to some of the challenges he was facing. But I found that conversation so encouraging. Now, if you're cynical, you might have think, well, he was just kind of flattering you because he wanted you to think well of him, but I don't think so. I know him well enough to not think that was what was really happening. I was so encouraged to know that somebody that I'd never really thought of would be listening to the sermons, would be listening to what we're doing, and was um, encouraging me about that. But the second thing was an email that was in my inbox. There was an email in my inbox that morning from a Carl Landis, a K-A-R-L Landis in Kansas. How many Carl Landises can there be in the world? I mean, seriously. Uh, but anyway, I didn't know there was one in Kansas, but this, this one sent me an email because he had seen an article in a church periodical about our giving project from 2015, the year that we focused on contagious generosity. Remember, our congregation raised an extra $127,000 that we gave away to uh, organizations in the community. We called it our giving project. And there was an article about that in a church periodical that he had read, and he responded with an email that he sent. I guess he found my email on our website. He said, what a wonderful ministry your church is involved in. And his email included this phrase, I'm proud of the Carl Landis I know in Pennsylvania. I just, I was astonished. That was waiting for me in my inbox. I have never heard from that person before. I've never heard from him since. But that day that I asked God for encouragement, This person sent me that email and it was waiting for me in my inbox. 
Footnote there, I only remember those things. I had to go look those up because I only remember those things because I wrote them down. They impacted me so much that day. I wrote them down. I said, I don't want to forget this. But you know what? Last week, I didn't have, those stories are not at the front of my mind. I don't carry them around with me every day. I need to go back and look at my log and say, oh yeah, that happened. That was only two years ago. Sometimes I get so caught up with the prayers and the needs I have now that I forget God has been so gracious to me in answering my prayers in the past that I some, if I start to think, does my prayer really matter? It's important to have something like that to go back to and to look up. Second thing I've learned about prayer is that there's mystery in prayer. There's mystery in prayer. God doesn't always do exactly what I ask for. You know this if you've prayed for, you know, for even a little bit of time. Sometimes, you know, you'll be praying for a friend who is struggling with an addiction, and it just, you just keep praying. You're relentless in prayer, but the, prayer, the, the friend continues to struggle with addiction. Or maybe there's an awful person in your life that's making your life miserable or making the life of someone you love miserable, and you agree in prayer, but it just does not seem to relent. God doesn't always do exactly what we ask when we ask. Sometimes God answers our prayer in a different way than what we had in mind. We ask for one thing and God says, well, it's actually better for you to have this, you know, something else. And so God gives us the other thing. And if we're, if we're just so focused on getting what we want, we kind of miss the fact that God answered your prayer. It just came in a different form than what you expected. Or sometimes God answers the prayer after I've forgotten that I was even praying about that thing. I, I just kind of lose track of it and I forget that I was praying about that until sometime the answer shows up and I think, well, that, I was asking for that and here's the answer because get, God answered later than I had hoped he would, but God did answer that prayer. Other times, and this is still on the theme of mystery, other times I pray for something and the exact opposite happens. God allows the exact opposite thing to happen. You know what this is like if you've prayed for a friend or a family member who's been sick and then died from the illness. We've all, I think, had that experience where we pray for healing for somebody and it doesn't happen and the person passes away. So on the one hand, God sometimes does exactly what we ask for. On the other time, there's mystery and it doesn't always work out exactly as we hoped. Third thing I've learned is that sometimes I've asked God, I would, I've hoped God, that God would make something happen that infringes on the free choices of other people, but God will not violate the free choices of other people. And I've learned that it's not really biblical for me to pray that God would make that person do something. Some of you who are parents or grandparents know this prayer. Lord, make my child do this because that would be better for them than what they're doing. God, make my grandchild do this because I know what's good for them. That's not really a biblical prayer. I think it's fine to pray, God, uh, confront that person with the, the, the error of their ways, you might say. Uh, confront that person with your love for them. May they understand your love for them in a way that makes sense to them. Surround them with godly people. Test them with the circumstances of their, of their lives before they get too far down a wrong path. All of those, I think, are fine to pray, but it's not okay to pray, God, make that person do what I think they ought to do. Another thing I've learned about prayer, a fourth thing, is that my prayers align me with God. God uses my prayers to shape, to reshape my will and my desires over time. As I've gotten older, I've learned to be more patient with God's timing. I realize that, like I said, not, God doesn't always answer exactly when I want or how I want Him to. So prayers regularly remind me or give me an opportunity to surrender my will to God and remember that sometimes God is using the circumstances of my life, well, always probably, 
God is using the circumstances of my life to develop the fruit of the Spirit in my life, to ripen His fruit in my life. How would I ever learn to be a patient person if God immediately solved every problem I encountered? If God immediately whisked away any problem, I, any person I found problematic? How would I ever learn to be patient or kind if God solved those problems immediately? How would I ever learn to be a peaceful person if I never faced adversity that lingered and tested my ability to be peaceful, my ability to rely on God's grace and peace? You know, it's a really interesting verse in a set of verses in Hebrews 5 about Jesus' experience of this here on earth. It may be of comfort to you to know that Jesus, it says that even though he was God, there's there's a mysterious way in which Jesus was also formed by his journey as a human being. Hebrews 5 verse 7 says that while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Jesus, even Jesus, cried out to God in his prayers, was pleading with God. Did you know that Jesus pleaded with his Father in prayer? Just like you do sometimes. And it says that God heard his prayers, even though we know God didn't always do exactly what Jesus wanted or when Jesus asked. Many times he did, but not always. But it says God heard his prayers even though the answers didn't come in exactly the form that he asked. Verse 8 says, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience. He learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. Jesus learned obedience from his suffering. God didn't immediately extricate him, remove him from all the suffering in his life. And it was a process of learning even for Jesus. Now, he was fully God and he was fully human, fully man. But there's a a mystery here as well in terms of how Jesus developed his understanding over time, how he learned obedience from his suffering. There's a way in which he understands our journey, the process by which God forms us and shapes our our will, and, and we surrender our will to him. And it says that Jesus is our perfect high priest as both God and man and our source of eternal salvation. The final thing about our prayers that I've learned, about prayers that I've learned is that my prayers remind me of the goodness of God. My prayers remind me of the goodness of God, of God's compassion, of the fervency of his love for me, for us, of the fact that when I was still his enemy, he died for me. My prayers remind me of God's generosity in providing for me, and they remind me that all of what I enjoy, all of what I have is a gift from God, and that the good things in my life don't necessarily belong to me. One of the most humbling things for me over the years has the times where I feel like God has given me a desire of my heart, something that I wanted but never really had the faith or the courage or the imagination to, to even ask for in prayer. And yet when they happened, I realized that that was something that I would really would have liked to see happen. And I realized that like the psalmist says, God will sometimes give you a desire of your heart. That's happened to me several times in my life. One example would be the time in 2003 that uh, Nita and I and our children were able to make a, a, a short-term mission trip to Guatemala that included some tourists, some time as tourists, sightseers. 
Um, I grew up in Guatemala, and it, it's just profoundly formative in my life and my imagination, my, you know, lots of things. Um, and I remember over the years thinking, wow, it would really be cool if at some point I could take Nita back to Guatemala. Well, not back for her, but to Guatemala. And I, and I could take my children when they were old enough to be shaped by the experience and have some sense of, of the formative time, this, this formative culture, this formative geography, and, and, and so on in my life. And, but we just never had the... I mean, our family life was busy. We never had a lot of extra money to work with. And I never really, it was never something I specifically prayed and asked God for. But in the summer of 2003, a window of time opened up. There was time suddenly available and there was some money that opened up. And we, and and an opportunity opened up for us to go to Guatemala. And after we returned from that trip, we actually, we also raised some money. We invited people who wanted to help support the cost of the trip to contribute. And by God's grace, I got to take my, my wife and our school age, older school-aged children to Guatemala. We had a lovely, I think it was five weeks that we spent there. And I got to take them to the places, to the houses that I lived in when I grew up. And we got to eat some of the foods as properly prepared that I enjoyed when I, I learned to, to, when I was growing up. And when we got home and I did the math, I realized that the money that had come in to support the trip was sufficient that we only ended up having to pay about $50 out of pocket for that whole trip for all of us to go. And I realized, you know what? God gave me a desire of my heart that I had never really specifically even asked him for. But my prayers remind me of that. My prayers remind me of the goodness of God, that out of the goodness of his heart, the riches of his grace overflow in my life in very specific ways sometimes. And it's important to remember that. So why don't I pray? Why do I sometimes drift into not praying or drift away from prayer? It's because I lose track I lose track of how much of a difference prayer has made in my life. It's because I forget what God has done for me in the past. And it's also because I have a lot of faith in my own ability to get things done. Because of the abilities that God has entrusted to me, I've learned to count on those and think, yeah, I can get things done. I can make things work out the way I want them to. And sometimes that tempts me to drift away from not praying. I want to end by giving you three simple things you can do. Three simple things you can do to help you remember that prayer matters, that prayer does make a difference. If this is something that resonates with you, if this is a a reason why you don't pray or don't pray as, as often or as much as you'd like to. The first is to keep track of your prayers or to at least keep track of your answered prayers. Some some people keep a gratitude journal or a gratitude log. Keep track of things that you're grateful for, noting especially the times that God has answered a prayer for you. You will be amazed at how that adds up. You will be amazed at how that adds up. If you're like me, you lose track of answered prayers if you don't write them down. Second thing you can do, every now and then take some time to look back over the recent past And to think about how God has been present, how God has answered your prayers, or how God has cared for you even beyond the things that you have asked for in prayer or the things that you've hoped for in prayer. Think about the last year or think about the the last several years or the last season of your life. Right now I'm actually doing an exercise I came across that encourages you to think through the decades of your life. 
Think through the decades of your life and think about the life lessons you learned and the ways that you, the formative experiences that you had and the ways that God was at work in your life. And I'm finding that a profoundly uh, encouraging and a useful exercise. So maybe you're more somebody who wants to do this occasionally. I'm not a big journaling person. I don't write down in a a journal every day or every week the things that have happened. But maybe you're uh, an occasional retreat or taking some time to reflect back over longer periods of time. Sometimes what you'll notice is that God uh, cared for you or answered your prayers in ways that you didn't recognize at the time, but now as you, as you look back on them, you'll say, oh, God's hand was at work there in a way I, I didn't see at the time. I couldn't see it because I was too close to the details, but God provided in a way that I, I just couldn't see then. So keep a log or a journal of, of, your, of answered prayers, of your gratitude. Uh, take some time to reflect, and thirdly, develop a regular rhythm of prayer a regular rhythm of expressing gratitude to train your heart, to train your mind. A regular rhythm of prayer will enable you to, to, to live a life, your life from a posture of gratitude. An awareness that's the complete opposite of the rich fools to say, this is all about me and my efforts, but to say, no, this is all about God and the things that God has entrusted to me. I'm a rich person because look at all these ways that God has provided for me, all these things that God has given to me. A regular rhythm of prayer will train your your will to be fully surrendered to God. The more often you practice that, the better, the, the more easily it comes to you. And it will strengthen your trust and your confidence in the goodness of God. It will strengthen your trust and your confidence in the goodness of God, which is key to living uh, a flourishing and joyful Christian life, to follow Jesus with joy and with gratitude. It's key to have a, a regular rhythm of being reminded of, of God's work and presence. And it will remind you that prayer matters. It will remind you that prayer matters, that prayer does matter very much. Our prayers connect us to our loving Father who hears our prayers and who delights to provide us with good things. He provides us with the good things that we all need to live lives that please Him so that we can be flourishing in His good purposes for us.